How you doing, Arizona Nation? Welcome back to another edition of the Arizona Podcast. Gabe, Brandon, and I are excited to bring you another episode right after the intro. Brandon's the villain, and you're just a hostage. If you drop to the flat, it's going to be a great day. So whenever I'm stepping over your head like an ostrich. Yeah, crazy. Groupies been waiting for this. Suckers been hating for this. You know why? PJ get down in the stands today. It's going to be a great day. Because so many of y'all are late to this. Jealous is how... Intentionally, but then start to love it because I made it eventually. Pumping the music, I keep. Are you gonna like open up your hips today? The music like pumping, cause Ren ain't in it for nothing. I keep the average crowd jumping. Yo, you know the. Are you gonna line up in your gap today, Seven? Color, the villains in black, always down. I make noise and attack, so you better get back. Unless you wanna come with it and make your face like. I want our knees bent, I wanna bust down low, I want our eyes up. I'm talking and close your eyes when I hit it. You're screaming with fear, but it's with. Eyes up, eyes up, eyes up, right there. Good, good, stay low. We gotta have good pad low. Say go. Fear that you're screaming, you're waking up in a sweat cause Ren is giving back dreams and I'm not scheming I'm just telling the facts that's how it is when a WA starts to jack right here right here right here right here right here eyes up we're now on iTunes and Google Play remember we are the Arizona podcast that's Echo Romeo Alpha remember that when you do your search remember to follow Gabe at Gabe underscore Encinas and Brandon at U of A Bear Down 07 follow the podcast on at Podcast Zona visit us on Facebook at the Arizona podcast email the podcast at Arizona podcast at gmail.com. Please send your emails, tweets, and Facebook uh, post any comments you have at Four Ply Guy. Shout out to Chris, who's been following along and making picks with the team all season long. Um, we didn't podcast last week because uh, Gabe was supporting his significant other in her date of birth, and Brandon was off on a work trip. Um, so we're going to just uh, turn back the Wayback Machine to two weeks ago and talk about our picks then on uh, San Jose State at Oregon. In that game, uh, Oregon uh, won 35-22. Uh, the over-under was 67.5, so it didn't quite uh, hit the over. And all of us had Oregon, uh, who didn't cover the spread. So nobody hit on that one. Um, Oregon State at Nevada. Nevada won uh, by two in that game, and uh, and we all had Oregon State. So Almost came back. Almost yeah, came back, yeah. A missed field goal at the last minute. That was a strange game. I mean, Nevada was just destroying them. And yeah, then nothing happened right. for two quarters. And then Oregon State came back. It was really weird. Um, what's the name of that The backup quarterback? Not the running kid, but the, the big, lanky kid at the broken uh, Jake, back. Jake Luton? Yeah, Luton. Boy, that kid cannot get a break. It's crazy. Uh, so we all hit on uh, Oregon State for that. Um, and the, the game hit on the over, but we all had the under. So um, kudos to us for back in the pack. Uh, Texas uh, steamrolled USC and uh, covered their spread. So we all hit on Texas. And Gabe and Brandon hit on the over in that game. Uh, UW uh, pulled past uh, University of Utah uh, 21-7. We uh, all hit on UW, and we all hit on the under in that game. And yay, San Diego State beat ASU. My film was the biggest hit in Groff Community College history. I got a check plus plus. That's like a C at Arizona State. Brandon and I hit on San Diego State, and Gabe and I hit on the over in that game. And last but uh, comically least, uh, UCLA got uh, mud stomped by Fresno. Uh, we all hit on Fresno, and uh, Gabe and Brandon hit on the over in that game. 
Um, that means that uh, for that week, Brandon went uh, five for six against the spread and three for six over under, which is a big improvement for him. So don't call it a comeback. Um, I went whoop. I went five for six against the spread and two for six on the over under. And Gabe went uh, three, excuse me, four for six and four for six on the over under with our uh, buddy Chris coming in at two for six against the spread and four for six on the over under. Um, comments on two weeks ago's games, guys. Anything that jumps out to you stands out other than ASU losing to San Diego State and starting their two game spit slide? Um, no, that was pretty much it. I watched, that was mostly the only game that I had really watched. And man, they were just gashing ASU. Um, other than that, uh, I think I watched a little bit of Washington State. Just not too uh, much last, the two, two weeks ago, I guess. Yeah, so I was in, I was actually in, uh, funny enough, I was in Cedar City um, while Arizona was playing Southern Utah, so it was kind of funny. Uh, so I was watching uh, watching that game on, on the computer, and then um, my wife was watching uh, uh, Utah and Washington, so I got to see, um, you know, look up occasionally and watch, watch that one whenever, uh, you know, commercial or whatever. And, man, dude, like – Utah, like I know we've said it multiple times, Utah's offense just just can't get anything going. It's really really interesting. Yeah, remember that comment about Utah's offense when we go to pick make our picks this week. It's uh, it's quite an interesting line. Well, let's move on to the real game of two weeks ago. Arizona gets Lath Frake back at left tackle. They do some shuffling. Um, our guy Donovan Lay moves over to right tackle. Uh, we have a new configuration on the offensive line, and it yields some pretty significant results. Uh, Brandon, what was your takeaway from the Southern Utah game? Um. So my biggest thing was the offensive line actually did a, a fantastic job of uh, pass pro and run pro. Uh, that was the first game where both were very solid. Um, Khalil actually had a really solid game as well. He, um, sorry, excuse me, he um, hit a bunch of open receivers. I mean, he, he had 349 yards, if I remember correctly, five touchdowns, and he only needed 20 passes really to do it, but out of those, like, 13 completions to, to do it. Um, you know, the – man, some of the officiating in that game was 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 questionable at best. Like, uh, Lorenzo Burns is uh, roughing the kicker um, on, on Southern Utah's second missed field goal that, that gave him new life, um, and they – that – Drive eventually ended in a touchdown. Uh, I, I don't understand how he ended up getting a rough in the rough in the kicker for that. I mean, his helmet like barely, barely tapped the the Southern Utah kicker's foot, and then you know he. I mean, I guess he did a great acting job and just like fell down. So, um, but uh, the defense had some issues. I mean, for crying out loud, the time of possession at the end of the half was. Uh, atrocious, um, atrociously in favor of Southern Utah. But once the second half kicked off, uh, the adjustment—you could see the in-game adjustments that that the coaching staff made at halftime kick in, and and Arizona just ended up running away with with the game, which was exactly what uh, we saw, what we wanted to see. And the defense started, you know, uh, playing how we wanted, you know, how everyone has wanted them to play really this whole season. So um, it was a big stepping block, I think, even though Southern Utah. Excuse me. There was a, it was a good game for the team to build some confidence and then wrinkle or iron out some wrinkles um, before they moved into a conference play. What did you think, Gabe? 
Uh, yeah, I mean, I think I, I think Arizona would have definitely benefited if this was the first game. I know Lathe kind of changes a lot of things on the offensive line, and it's only Southern Utah that he's going up against. But uh, I think the team definitely would have just benefited from going into this kind of buffer game here. But having that as your last non-conference, you kind of get acclimated, especially with your offensive line being at full strength. And uh, the first half was a little concerning when it's 24-7 or 24-17, sorry. And, I mean, eventually they pull away, but, I mean, really there's not much in the second half uh, that you could complain about, I suppose. And you get a lot of young guys, some experience, and I think that kind of carried over into Oregon State as well. So, I mean, really, I, this game was kind of a blur to me. But, um, yeah, that, that's all I got to say about that game. What did you guys think about the defense? I think that the defense – I mean, they missed uh, – well, I don't know, man. Like, they had some uh, – I think what was killing them mostly was just, you know, getting off the damn field on, on third down as it's been for the past few years, really. But they showed some good some good signs, but then they showed some not-so-good signs. But a part of that is probably what Gabe was mentioning, too, is that that game I felt like – was a game that even from the beginning they wanted to get a bunch of young guys some quality reps and experience um and some in-game experience so that that possibly could have been part of the problem so i mean that's just kind of my take on it yeah it's it's interesting i mean i so i have noticed especially i mean since uh the houston yeah since the houston game they've just been rotating a bunch of guys in there. And I mean, some of it is out of need, like when you're putting in Xavier Bell and Tristan Cooper's hurt, or now, uh, I guess last time we spoke, Justin Belknap wasn't hurt. So he'll be out for the season. So you got JB Brown in there. Uh, they're starting to rotate Troy young in there quite a bit. Uh, Anthony Pandy was in quite a bit against Southern Utah. So, I mean, there really is just this big rotation of guys and, you know, whether you'd rather have just a bunch of fresh guys on the field or kind of some consistency, um, you know, I, I don't know, but it, which you would really prefer. Uh, but I, yeah, I think it's getting better or it should be getting better. I think that now that you kind of have your, your core group going forward, uh, at least from what we saw in Oregon state, you're out Justin Beltnap right now. So that's going to hurt. I think safeties. I mean, when I guess we'll talk about this with Oregon state, uh, there's still a lot of rotation going, and I really want to get into kind of how they're rotating that later. But, I mean, the defense is what it is. I mean, they gave up quite a lot of plays that you wouldn't want to give up against Southern Utah. But, you know, I, Marcel Yates, fourth year. Is this his fourth year or third year? Third year. Third year. You know, he's, he's selling me a, a used car with 24% interest right now. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, Southern Utah, uh, you know, average uh, 3.6 yards per rush, but they rush the ball 54 times for 213 yards. And that's a lot of yards to give up on the ground. It was not reassuring when Southern Utah was running up and down the field on us. Um, you know, I think our passing defense was, was better, and we'll certainly get into the defensive back rotation for Oregon State, like you alluded to, Gabe, but we were only actually. Up. Uh, I kind of want to put one thing. I forgot to mention this. Um, Southern Utah is actually the game where the defense was able to check off a lot of boxes. They got their first turnover. They got their first sack, and I think there was one more other first. I can't remember what it was, but that's interception. Kind of, Do we have an interception? 
Yeah, that's, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. The pick, yeah. Uh, a kick return for a touchdown, not defense, but... Oh, yeah, nice. yeah. JJ's 84-yard just blast down the field. Yeah. Yeah, no, but, you know, I think the question becomes, and I don't think anybody complained about the offense, uh, the rushing defense, you know, 6.1 yards yeah. uh, on a passing attempt, yeah. you know, is, is serviceable. Um you know, per per completion, they were doing uh, ten yards. So, uh, you know, we we had a twenty three, almost twenty four yard per uh, completion average with uh, sixteen yards per attempt. So much more efficient. Um, you know, they were really running a lot of plays. Um, this is a team that churned out thirty first downs um, in the game. Um, but like I said, the running average uh, three point six wasn't that impressive. But two hundred thirteen yards to a school like that, and especially you know it was front loaded as you mentioned, both you guys that we we eventually wore them down and took it over but that first half um it was it was pretty rough um you know only being up by a touchdown at halftime and then third quarter we turned it on and, and squelched them i wanted and now of course we're in the retrospective scope because we're already on to the usc preview week and we've already seen um oregon state but I was a little bit concerned when the team was making such a big deal out of celebrating their offensive successes against this team. Uh, did you guys make much of that? I don't think it was concerning at all. I think, uh, and you're talking about Southern Utah, right? Yeah, still on yeah, Southern yeah. Utah. You know, Khalil Tate was very effusively celebrating with the other players, you know, on all the scoring drives and stuff. And I, I don't know, I, I've, I get that they've lost two games and they needed a win and they needed to feel like they're clicking and all that stuff. And, and, uh, but it just seemed like it, it should have been a little more routine taking care of a team of this caliber. Yeah, I don't know. I, I said- yeah, I still don't find it very, uh, very worrisome, especially since um, this team has a different feel this year. To be honest with you, even with just the, you know, with the coaching change and everything like that. I mean, if it was if it was during the Rich Rod year, then um, yeah, it'd be concerning. But this team had never lost confidence and never lost, uh, you know, never like the attitude never went downhill, so to speak, you know, like there were definitely times during uh, Rich Rod's tenure here, like in 2016, like you could just feel that the team was just beat down and worn down. But I mean, this year, like even during the Houston game, it it didn't feel that way, um, which was interesting to me. Um, So I guess it was to me, I just viewed it as the team just celebrating a touchdown and having fun doing it. So um, I think that's, in my opinion, actually kind of a positive with, with this year team what do you think gabe much ado or do you take it uh, away from that? i mean i'm not a huge fan of it i mean i like you said i mean it should just be kind of you're just taking care of business with southern utah um you know I, they needed this though to to put up 62 on them and and i think it is because it's a young team they're a little bit more emotional and at least in the first half of houston they just looked like they were totally out of it. And then the second half, they kind of made things interesting there. But, um, you know, yeah, I, I I wish that, you know, it would be a little bit more routine. It's kind of it's kind of like for me when, like, Tim Huff is celebrating uh, when he doesn't do anything, but it's an overthrown ball. Like, it's kind of like that for me. So... <laughs> Uh, all right, we're probably, you know, we're well beyond that. So um, let's uh, move on to the next week, okay? And we'll spend a little more time analyzing uh, the outcome of that week. So um, Washington State uh, rolled into USC and gave them quite the battle. Uh, SC was uh, given up four and a half points, uh, ended up 36-39. Um, 
Brandon and um, Chris had uh, Washington State. Um, I had SC. Uh, the overhit for Brandon and Chris. Gabe, I, I don't think we gave you credit for a pick on this one. Did you did you send one in and I missed it? Or I, I, I sent it in system, I, I sent it in the morning after because I I uh, yeah, I didn't check Twitter at so, that point. No worries, you were busy. We understand. Um, <laughs> so I've just been running your average without the um, without that in there. So we'll we'll go by a percentage, no big deal. We'll we'll still keep track. It'll just be a little wonky. Plus Brandon has a bonus pick out there too. Um, I thought it was a really entertaining game. Uh, you know, everybody made jokes about the pirate having a play card the size of a, you know, a folded up uh, wet bar napkin, and um, you know, Clay Helton looked like he was confused. I think if um, what's USC's uh, quarterback, the high school senior dude. JT yeah. If JT Daniels can stop throwing off his damn back foot, that kid's actually going to be pretty good. That is the worst mechanical habit on earth. But I mean, you know, he should be playing high school kids right now. So kudos to him for, uh, you know, I only live in his world. Um, my, my favorite part about that game was uh, Clay Helton saying uh, that blocked field goal at the end, uh, or that that game. It was a call play. Over. Yeah, he said, uh, oh, yeah, we've been practicing for all week. Oh, yeah, really? You've been practicing for the Washington State guard to fall on his backside? <laughs> and dude just ran out of his stance and fell <laughs> flop onto the field. I'm like, he, 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 the way that went down, it was almost impressive impossible for him to not just slow somebody down the way he popped out of there. He completely missed the dude next to him. It was like, I don't know, was the guy had a seizure in the middle of the play or what? It was unbelievable. But yeah, I found that to be the most that just shows you that Clay Helton's legit boxer rocks dumb. The guy, it's amazing. The guy, he just seemed so clueless that whole game. Every time we looked over there, it was like struggle face on the sideline, <laughs> uh, you know, and I'd feel bad for the guy, except he's running USC and he's making a lot of money. So I don't third, um, Gabe, did you want to say anything about that debacle? Um, no, not, not really. I, USC had no business coming back. I was super frustrated with that. And then, yeah, the, was the left side of the line uh, this guard or whoever? Yeah, that that was pretty bad. But was now you guys, I mean, took it away. It, it, I mean, Clay Hilton wanted. He, yeah. he practiced for yeah, it. Yeah, he practiced for that left guard to jump out there and land his belly. <laughs> right, I could run right behind him and block it. It's a, the old. Uh, yeah, I mean the the Twitter feed when that some reporter tweeted that out. I mean the reporter just got eaten alive. It was too funny. That's one of the things I definitely caught after you know as that was all coming out on social media. Um, yeah, you know, you can certainly empathize with Washington state, right? I mean, it feels a lot like Arizona here. They are, they got a final chance to fell the giant and, and it just, you know, you, you can't pull off something like that to, to knock the game back up and give yourself a chance. And, and, um, I don't know. It's just kind of sad because USC wins again and, and they're not even, you know, seemingly trying. Um, then number seven, uh, third, um, Took down Oregon, um, who was ranked 20th at the time, 38-31. Ferd was only given up two and a half, so all three of us hit on Ferd. But in the most shocking uh, outcome in sports gambling, the over hit in a Stanford game. Uh, So no love there. That was an awesome, awesome game. What did you guys think about that Oregon basically pissing itself at the end of the game? I loved it. Yeah. Go ahead, Gabe. Yeah, you go ahead. Um, 
Oregon looked real good in the first half, and then there were just some throws where I I'm not a huge bullet like number one overall pick for Justin Herbert type of guy. And I still don't think he is, but like there were some throws where I'm like, dang, all right. When they're like replaying it and they got the telestrator going, I'm like, dang, this kid's good and far better than uh, Jake Browning. But I definitely, I thought Oregon was just like top of the class in the first half. And I thought they were just going to roll Stanford and then Stanford just comes back suddenly. And then just, I mean, I mean, Oregon kind of just pisses it away, but I, I was pretty, that was such a good game, man. That was, that was a good game. And I made, does Stanford have a chance to make the college football playoff now? I, I don't know. That's, I mean, they got Notre Dame this week, but that was such a good game. I was impressed with, but like just kind of the tale of two halves there, but I was super impressed with Oregon the first half. I'm like, well, they wet the bed and then Stanford to just come back was awesome to see. Yeah, you know, your lips to God's ear, Stanford winning it all. Uh, that would be great because, uh, A, I love Stanford, and uh, B, it'd be Pac-12, so it would really be in the face of all the USC, uh, I mean the SEC types. And uh, C, yeah, it would it would really put the thumb in the nose of the, the Oregons and the USC. So I, I think it would be a, uh, quite a, not only an impressive accomplishment, but uh, something I would certainly enjoy uh, watching. Uh, what do you think, Brandon? This is like remember, so. Remember when we started the uh, we did our preseason podcast and I said whatever about Oregon. Like I don't believe the hype and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. Saturday was pretty much the reason why I said that. <laughs> like you, you're telling me you got a well, man. What was it? It was like thirty one to no twenty four to seven lead or something like that. Twenty four seven and a half, I think. Yeah. And you're telling me you can't you can't stop Stanford, who doesn't like make downfield bomb plays all the time like it's i mean people people will say like oh jalen red was inside we made a touchdown because it's no the ball was outside the end zone when his foot touched the pylon that's that that you shouldn't let one play define your game or you know whatever and like and after that it was just game over and i'm like if oregon fans are arguing that call that is their lack of sports acumen because a billionaire rolled in there and bought them a sports program. That is completely legitimately uh, called the right way. It was a great call by the umpires. It's sort of an obscure situation, and they explained that in perfect detail. I thought that was handled as well as it possibly could. Anybody whining about that, it's you know, just GTFO, yes. man. It's but it's 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 a cop out pretty much. But like yeah. I I agree I agree. Be Gabe. pissed it off was, at your team. It was such a it was such a glorious comeback comeback by by Stanford. Like I actually legitimately respect David Shaw um, in what he has done with Stanford, and I actually res- I've never hated Stanford. I've always respect their style of play, and man, they just punched Oregon in the mouth in the second half, and it was glorious um, to see that and. And then, then like that 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 game winning catch by that was a Colby Parkinson. Yeah, that was Ooh, sick. Man, that, that, was, was, oh, that was so nice. <laughs> that box that out so, move is so it's so filthy, right? It's it, just <laughs> like I'm just gonna push you. Why don't you? It's it's those little tiny chairs they have in elementary schools, the super short ones that kids sit on. Yeah, that was that. He <laughs> brought out the little stubby chair and just sat him right down in it and said, "Here, watch me catch this touchdown." And there's nothing that overpaid 
screaming Oregon player could do about it. It was awesome. Um, yeah, I mean, you think about uh, Stanford, if they take on uh, number eight Notre Dame and win this week and travel into Oregon in consecutive weeks, uh, that's about as tough as it gets. I'm sure the SEC people will be talking about how their, their whatever eight-game conference schedule is so much more difficult because ESPN will cram that down your throat, but I say it's complete nonsense. There I was am, one BS thing that came out of it, though. Um, one BS thing that came out So. I don't even think Stanford moved up in the rankings, but frickin' Oregon went from 20th to 19th. Can someone explain that to me? No, Ford stayed exactly the same. But or, no, but the Oregon yeah. moved up. No, you're right. <laughs> yeah, they went from they went from 20 to 19, and Ford stayed at seven. Well, you know, you can't move an SEC team out ahead of them, so that's just how it goes. Um, I guess it depends on you know. I can't say I looked at you know 17 through you know whatever uh, eight to see you know who lost and stuff. But you got to have someone fall in front of you. But like Oklahoma struggled with Armley, right? They were yep. they were down to it the minute you you might move them back. But I don't know. That's just how it is. Nobody watches West Coast games, you know. I mean, that game was on at 5 p.m., but, you know, I bet it pretty, had pretty subpar uh, viewership uh, on the East Coast. Although, I, you know, I can't say I honestly looked up those numbers. I'm going to go contrarian on you guys. I actually think that um, that um, Herbert's really good, and I, th- I think he is going to be a legit um, contender for that um, top draft pick. And I think he's a lot better than um, – what's the name of the kid who came out of Wyoming? Josh Allen. Josh Allen. I think he's going to do better than Josh. Um, I was really impressed with him. But I think it's fair to question, you know, how he's performed um, against better competition. That's certainly a fair criticism. Um, I also think Oregon's going to be a gigantic pain in our ass over the next few years. I think um, – what's the head coach's name up there? The – Cristobal. Cristobal. That, you know, listen, he was doing some learning up there. I think his pedigree is real good, and his recruiting is filthy. So, unfortunately, I think they're going to be buying themselves plenty of uh, opportunities up there. Um, so, UW squeaks past um, ASU. They don't cover at minus 18, and um, the under hits. So, Gabe had ASU. And uh, Brandon had the under on that one. <laughs> so that's uh, ASU's second loss. Um, we've stopped the uh, stroking Herm for a National Coach of the Year awards. Um, <laughs> if I hear one more time, I, we just got to get the game to the fourth quarter by some quote analyst uh, talking about uh, Herm. I'm going to, you know, pull my ears off my head. What did you guys think? I thought it was uh, uh, interesting game plan by um, ASU, and um, I don't think that Herm Edwards was – he was definitely not playing to win the game. Um, I just think that – I think that Washington was kind of letting them do kind of whatever uh, because they trusted their offense enough, and who uh, I mean – their offense definitely uh, looked a lot better, and man, I tell you what, Ty Jones, that kid, that he was he a sophomore, Richard freshman, something like that. That 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 kid's a problem. Uh, he made a heck of a touchdown grab in the second quarter, I think it was. Um, like I remember Jordan and I watching it, and and she can believe uh, she can believe seeing. Um, 
you know, him catch that ball through ASU defender's hands. But um, Browning actually looked a little bit crisper that game uh, compared to Utah. Uh, he looked a little frazzled during Utah. But uh, Gaskin and Salvon Ahmed, they just continued to to shred defenses and everything like that. So, I mean, Washington's offense is still pretty powerful, still pretty potent. Uh, their defense, I, I don't take um, – I take the uh, the – you know, allowing ASU to score 20 points with a grain of salt because I don't think that's really their, you know, to me, their defense just didn't feel like they were uh, playing with their foot on the gas the whole game. Uh, but they did hold Nikhil Harry to, like, borderline nothing all game. So um, that defense is still pretty pretty potent as well. What do you think, Gabe? Yeah, I, I think Washington kind of let them in the game. And like Brandon was saying, I mean, they lost to Auburn and only gave up 21 points, and Auburn's supposed to have this electrifying offense. I don't know how they've done since. I haven't really paid attention to Auburn, but uh, Auburn was supposed to be one of the top offenses in the country. So defense kind of, I mean, they still only gave up 20 points, but they definitely had some opportunities. But still, if you're ASU, I mean, you're a little impressed to go into Washington and only lose by seven, I guess, if you want to look at it that way, if that were Arizona and going into the, that situation, the way that they are now, I'd still be pretty encouraged. But right now I feel like, yeah, now ASU and U of A are kind of on even playing fields. I would say ASU looked rough against SDSU. They were just slashing them up on the ground and, uh, both two and two now. ASU has a more quality win with Michigan State, but I mean, right now I think it's pretty even between the two. I, I don't know. What do you guys think? Am I am I off on that? Well, I think Michigan State was overrated. Sure. <clears throat> and we we tried to rake ASU over the coals about their success against Wisconsin and Notre Dame, and those teams ended up having decent records. So I wouldn't be surprised if uh, Michigan State had a had a fairly decent. Uh, standing at the end of the year, but certainly not elite. Um, I, I would argue that this is how the game went down. UW walked in there and said, we're not going to let Harry kill us on the receiving. We're not going to let uh, you know a senior quarterback slice us up. That's how ASU has been most successful. Um, and so they played two deep safeties. And they basically dared ASU to run the ball. And ASU ran the ball. And so ASU's subsequent analysis was, well, we can run the ball now. No, Washington dared you to run the ball. So they, they slowed the game down. They allowed it to stay close like that. And they had faith in their ability to, uh, you know, successfully convert that game plan. So I think ASU played directly into their hands. And you could see the frustration in the offense that they couldn't nail a big play. And to take those, um, you know, consistent small plays was something that was difficult for the team. Like when Harry and um, Manny Wilkins were walking off the field at halftime, they were both carpeting each other about the game. And, and you know, that punt Return by Harry was probably the only reason they even were as close as they were. Oh, they had like three blocks in the back. Yeah, yeah. yeah tell us about it after the the game last year in Tempe. Anyways, <laughs> um, Auburn has played Alabama State. Uh, Alabama is a state. Sixty three nine and LSU, which was ranked five at the time, and one twenty one or lost twenty one twenty two, and then they beat Arkansas thirty four three. So. Hmm. That's been their their schedule so far. 
Um, just for what it's worth, I can't tell you that much about Arkansas. Is usually not really that good. So, uh, yeah, Arkansas I mean, lost to Colorado State. Yeah, so there you go. In North Texas. There you go. So. Oh yeah. SEC, SEC. So, um, yeah, but the important thing is ASU lost. Um, moral victory. I, I think Washington was in control the entire time. It was a little closer than it probably should have been. But the way they managed the clock at the end of the game, and then everybody comparing that to the Oregon game, was was kind of ironic since they followed each other. But let's move on to the game of the night. Um, Arizona comes in at a four and a half point. Uh, uh, giving up four and a half points to Oregon State at Corvallis. Uh, Over-under was 73.5. Uh, Zona rolls 35-14. Cover the spread. Um, don't hit the uh, over. Uh, so both Brandon and Gabe got Zona, and we all had the over. Um, what did you guys like about the game against Oregon State? Uh, I liked the obvious rushing game there with JJ Taylor almost hit 300 yards. Uh, but then to counter that they had, I feel like Arizona maybe had like 250 rushing yards and just 14 points at half. So kind of very similar to Southern Utah where it's like, you just feel like they, they should be a lot more that you're putting up. And, uh, I guess even kind of like Houston where they ran a hundred plays and put up what 18 points. So kind of, kind of some inconsistency there on offense where you're getting these plays or these yards in, but you're not coming up with a lot, but second half, I mean, really, I don't know why you would need to throw the ball. I mean, they only threw the ball 17 times anyways and completed nine, but I mean, you didn't need any help from the passing game. Oregon state was just giving up yards after yards there. So uh, offense, I'm, I'm fine with the offensive line starting to look better. It is Southern Utah and Oregon State, so take it with a grain of salt. But it's starting to get better, and there's there's at least some some solid foundation going forward. USC is obviously the big test now. Defense, they rotated a lot. Uh, I feel like almost every position they were rotating, aside from maybe Colin Schooler, they were at least too deep the entire game. Um, and my guy, Jalen Harris, man, he played out of his mind. He, I think uh, after Jalen Cochran went down, and I don't know how severe that injury is. I think it was like upper body. But with J.B. Brown just running DN, they threw Jalen out at stud and DN a little bit, and he just gets after it. So I'm really hoping he can uh, carve himself out a role there. The D-line, uh, continuing off that, P.J. Johnson looked good. First time he's really healthy since week one. In week one, I don't think he even recorded a tackle. So now he finally is starting to produce on defense. And linebackers, Colin Schooler, played out of his mind. Tony Fields played really well. I'm still waiting on Kylan Wilborn to really, I don't know, just make his mark or come up with that big momentum play. I feel like he should be ripping heads off and forcing turnovers and fumbles and sacks and all of that, but he, he has feels like a ghost out there, huh? Yeah, he's on a milk carton right now. He's just, <laughs> he's just not there, man. I don't know. Um, Have you seen and, our stud linebacker? <laughs> and then the safeties, I, I, it was, it feels like so long ago. They were, I think they started out with Tristan Cooper at, that would be Spur. Yep. And then Bandit was. DFF. 
DFS. Well, he didn't start that game though, yeah, right? He didn't start though. Oh, are you ta- I thought you were talking about at the beginning of the season. My bad. Yeah, uh, yeah. it was Jarius yeah. Wallace. At, it was Jarius Wallace at at, uh, at free, and then Bandit was Scotty Young. No, no, no. Jarius was at Bandit. Scotty was at free. Okay. Oh yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. So I mean, that was that was pretty interesting. And, J- and DFF didn't play for a while, maybe, maybe the whole first quarter and even into the second. But I know he played a good amount in the second half. And honestly, I think we went well. When was our last podcast? I guess before was, before whatever game when Scotty Young yeah. was able to come back, we kind of had this proposal where Scotty at least needs to be there. Isaiah Hayes just kind of got trickled down this past week, but I think you need to have that combination of your top safeties and include Scotty Young. Uh, I don't mind if Tristan Cooper's there. Uh, I think. Scotty eventually took over for Tristan Cooper. I'm not entirely sure, but they were just rotating a bunch of safeties. I don't think Demetrius is in the top three, maybe four safeties uh, right now for Arizona. So it's interesting that they're starting to rotate that out and, and kind of give some of these other rotations a look, but that was pretty much my main takeaway on defense. Just for care, clarification, so um, Jarius Wallace, five five solo tackles, seven total. Um, P.J. Johnson, two TFLs, and Colin Schooler, four TFLs with his 10 total tackles, and P.J. Johnson had three. So you, you nailed it on all the guys that had a thing. And Tony Fields had uh, not quite been milk box uh, level, but – he definitely had been, uh, you know, lacking in the juice. And so he, he had a TFL 10 total tackle. So it looks like he's shaping back up into form. Um, there was a big point of emphasis that they were completely revamping the secondary before this game, specifically the safeties. Because I think we're all pretty happy uh, with how Lorenzo Burns has played. And our, our corners have held up better than we thought we would. And so, Brandon, why don't you break down why they revamped it and then dovetail off that on what you thought. Um, you know, were the big takeaways from the defense of the game. So I think they revamped it just because there were some issues. Um, I mean, the BYU game showed that there were issues in the safety uh, safety positions with, with coverage and everything like that. Um, and, um, you know, I think putting Jerry, having Jerry Swallow start at, at Bandit to start the game isn't necessarily a bad thing. And then you rotate DFF in later and you kind of shift everyone down and everything like that. I think that's, that's actually really, really good. It gives everyone, uh, it, you know, gives everyone, um, uh, a chance to play. And then, uh, you get your best safeties out on the field and, and what have you kind of like what Gabe was alluding to. Um, I will say that, um, yeah, Burns, Burns has been, I mean, he's been just pretty solid, honestly. Uh, he, if you notice, they, they, they he didn't get thrown, uh, he didn't get the ball thrown his direction a whole lot during an Oregon State game. Um, yeah, I mean, he's been he's been doing a great job. Um, and then Tim Huff, I mean, my biggest thing with him is his coverage skills are actually pretty pretty good. Um, it's not his coverage that uh, that bugs me. It's his his. Uh, What's the way to put it? Lack of physicality. <laughs> I mean, he doesn't. He doesn't want to stick his face in a fan. 
Yeah, he's not too he's not too physical. I mean, I want him to be more physical. Like when he goes to tackle a dude, like crush him. But he doesn't do it. That, that he doesn't do that. So that's the aspect of the game that we're missing with with Jace. Um, you know, being sidelined with an injury. But I can say that I mean, Huff does have really good coverage skills. So I, I have no complaints there. And thank at least. God we got him as a transfer, right? I mean, we all thought Wallace was a, you know, um, excuse me, Whitaker was going to be, um, you know, a for sure thing. And and he's you know, he's out there with uh Wilburn right now we can't get him yeah exactly yeah it's interesting to see if Whitaker is on the thought process to redshirt and take that year because he never redshirted in his four years so it's interesting to think about yeah and I mean I don't know how committed he is to Arizona but he could potentially grad transfer to at that point Oh, that would be a big bummer. Uh, and yeah, he's going to get a lot of attention. So, you know, he could jump onto a, a you know, a, a more, a program that might have some stuff going for it. But uh, that, that's an interesting thought. I hadn't considered that. I don't know. He, he actually seems to really like the school in the area. So he might stay. Sure. Um, yeah. Let's hope so. Just speculation. Yeah. Yeah. So, but it's an interesting uh, one, concept, right? That he'd have that available to him. Yeah. So one thing I tweeted out also, I think earlier in the week, a little probably about two days after this was on Monday. Um, man, I don't know if you guys have noticed, but when DFF's been in uh, since he's not starting, he's actually looked pretty good ever since Houston. Uh, I remember in Houston, like there was there's a he was hip to hip side down the sideline with a receiver and smacked the ball away. And ever since then, like his coverage skills have actually been pretty pretty good compared to like BYU. Um, so he's, it seems like, I don't know what's clicked. Something's clicked, but he's, he's starting to look better. His tackling's actually improved. Uh, he doesn't have as many whiffs. Um, and, and his coverage is like, just, I can't, I can't explain it. Like, it's just, it's just better. Like I've noticed that he's been around the ball, making plays, smacking the ball away or right up on a receiver, like, you know, in his face and stuff like that. So like, it's been, it's been interesting to see that transformation in the past three games or so uh, compared to the BYU game. Uh, and then like Gabe's alluded to, like Colin Schooler just played out of his mind. Uh, I mean, he's already up to 10 tackles for a loss this season through four games, which is just ludicrous. Um, uh, I think Matt Moreno tweeted out, and it was pretty funny. I think and accurate. He's he's on pace to get like 258 tackles for a loss this year, um, uh, and he's 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 easily easily Arizona's best player on on the defense. There's like no no question about that. Um, and then uh, the defensive line was impressive. Now, mind you, too, the def- the defense overall play like they had some issues on third down, but they played overall pretty pretty well like this Oregon State offense wasn't chump these weren't a bunch of chumps out there they they came in and they were one of the most explosive offenses in the Pac-12 uh I mean Jamar Jefferson he may be a freshman but I don't know if you've seen that kid run he's not he's no he looked great in the games before ours yeah, he's no slouch. And, so and he averaged four point three per per rush, so it's not like, you know, he went off. But you know, that wasn't bad considering the ineptitude of the rest of the offense in that game. We really bottled up their offense. Yeah, I mean, like we held them to under hundred yards rushing, and, and Arizona held them to like two hundred thirty eight yards total offense, which is just ridiculous. Um, and you know, that's that's a step in the right direction. Like people be like, Oh, well it's Oregon state. Well that, that, like I said, the defense is kind of, meh, you know, but that off that offense is no joke. Um, 
And then, uh, you know, I was actually, I was no kidding nervous going into that game. I was like, ah, this is one of those games that it could be this. And it turned, luckily it wasn't the defense stepped up, played their game right and, and did well. Um, and like Gabe alluded to man, Jalen Harris just absolutely destroyed any offensive tackle. He put his hands on. It was great. Uh, and even JB Brown stepped up, uh, when Cochran went down and had himself a really good game. So, um, I don't really need to say much about the offense. The line was amazing. The two mistakes they made was, uh, the drive near the end of the half first half when they had two ineligible receivers downfield in a row. And one of them called back Tony Ellison's touchdown. So, um, but other than that, man, uh, offense was clicking. I, I would argue those were more on, um, Tate not getting the ball out center too. So, I mean, those guys can only, you know, it's an RPO. They got to be blocking. He's got to make his decision sooner. So, uh, but yeah, someone was pretty pissed off about that. Huh? Anything you want to wrap up on game? Um, no, I mean, I guess, uh, Brandon talked about it briefly where they held Oregon state to under hundred yards rushing and then passing 141. So that's kind of what you would have expected against Southern Utah. Um, but at the same time against Oregon um, to Brandon's point where he's like, Oh, well, it's just Oregon state or Southern Utah. So it's like, yeah, it is just Southern, Southern Utah and Oregon state, or I guess more specifically Oregon state, but really there's not much else that Arizona really could have done to like, you, you know, like there, there's not much you could have done to have played a better game really, uh, in terms of defense. Like, I mean, you, you held them up pretty well. 14 points and seven were in the fourth quarter under a hundred rushing yards. So, I mean, overall you can't complain. Yeah. I, you know, you can only play the teams that are in front of you, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. So, um, I thought this was a, an improvement on Oregon state, uh, excuse me, Southern Utah. And so, you know, all we can exa- ask is that they continue to improve game by game over the course of the season. And, uh, you know, I think the offensive line looked much more cohesive and was certainly more effective. I would think that the level of competition at Oregon state, despite their struggles is higher than, than, uh, Southern Utah. And so the continued progression and success with those subsequent teams, I think is a positive reflection as, especially as it relates to our running game, obviously. Um, I thought Gary Brightwell looked much more comfortable and much better running the ball. I was, I was, I'd been pretty harsh on him in a couple earlier podcasts, but, uh, you know, uh, I redact my previous criticism. I thought he ran great in that game, uh, angry. Um, and so, uh, and you know, another thing that kind of struck me, I was watching the game and I thought, you know, listen, we got three senior, uh, receivers. And I, I guess it never really occurred to me with Ellison, um, Poindexter and Brown. I think we have a pretty decent wide receiving core. I, I don't think, you know, it was an area we had concerns, especially the outside position, you know, opposite Poindexter. Uh, you know, I, I think more of our struggles in the passing game have come from Tate and the new system as opposed to uh, our receiving talent. So I, I think there's a lot of potential for growth as it relates to all those, as it all kind of comes together and the transitions over with Frakes uh, suspension and the defense, I, you know, I don't have a good explanation for it. We talked about it a lot. Um, maybe it's Yates having the cuffs taken off and there's some variations that we're not quite picking up on, but it's been disappointing that that transition's taken uh, this long. Um, but it seems to be coming together finally. Yeah, I agree. The, it's interesting. I'm wondering if, I mean, I, I think we alluded, to, I can't remember. I think we might've alluded to it in an earlier podcast, but I'm wondering if it's, uh, 
just the fact that like the book, so to speak, wasn't open all the way until we got in the conference play. Yeah, you, you talked about that for sure. Yeah, um, so. You know, to, to be fair and critical to our own analysis, uh, you know, we all talked about Scotty Young maybe having to battle back his position, but it didn't take him long to get back in the starting lineup. Uh, um, we were so, wrong. Yeah, we definitely swung and missed on that. It, it's nice to have Scotty Young back there. So uh, hopefully he stays on the straight and narrow, does the right thing, and continues to improve. So, um, uh, Brandon, let's move on to uh, talking about we've, we've missed two Friday Night Lights. Why don't we talk about uh, your article on uh, AZ Desert Swarm, uh, talking about how Arizona's commits performed in week five. Radio 470 AM, it is game day, people. Welcome to the most talked about game in the state of Texas. I'm already sweating like a whore in church. We're going to play fast. We're going to take what we can get, gentlemen. Do you understand me? Let's show them what we got. All right, cool. So uh, Gabe and I will hash this out player by player. So uh, we'll start with uh, Grant Gunnell. They played uh, Manor High School in Texas. It was actually a big powerhouse high school in Texas and uh, has a lot of uh, Power 5 commits on that team. Uh, so they were down, um, was it like 34-21 at halftime and then ended up uh, just – just destroying manner in the second half, you know, 25 unanswered points. They ended up coming back 46 to 34. Um, but man, Gunnell just kind of went off during that game. He went 26 for 40 with 436 yards, six touchdowns in his first pick of the season. And he also had five carries for 92 yards and a touchdown. He, uh, Man, in, in his his uh, performance actually, um, since he's committed to the Polynesian Bowl, uh, he only got the Polynesian Bowl Player of the Week. Um, but man, he he! If you watch that game, it's this kid just it is it is criminal that he got a three star rating based on two camps during the summer because you watch this kid and he is just automatic. He's a natural football player. He is, he doesn't even look like he's playing high school football out there. He's just that anticipatory. He has that much touch on his throw. He makes the right throws at the right time. Man, it's just crazy watching this kid play. I mean, what do you think on that, Gabe? Yeah, I mean, what's even better, though, about everything is that he actually just recently dropped in the rankings again. He was around, like, 365. Now he's 390. So he could potentially fall out of the top 400, and it's just pretty silly. I think, actually, today uh, there was a tweet that he's fourth all-time in Texas for passing yards right now for the career, Um, and he's still pretty, like— I mean, there's still three guys ahead of him, but he's pretty close, and he's got a shot to break the the overall record, if I'm not mistaken. But, yeah, I mean, his highlights look so good. He just he looks so smooth on every single throw. He knows exactly where the ball is going, and he's got some wheels that he's shown off lately too. And so for being a big 6'6 kid, I mean, he's got a lot of talent around him, but, I mean, he just looks so good in all the throws. Uh, I mean, there's really not much more you could ask for. And I mean, if he's committed to Ohio state, I still think he's a top 180 player at least at the minimum. Yeah. This, you know, it's kind of weird that he's dropped as far as he has. And what's the name so, of that kid out of um, Bishop Gorman. That's at Ohio state, the backup. Tate Martell. Tate Martell. Yeah. Tate Martell. 
That kid looked like straight dog shit in the backup time he's gotten. I, I'm like, why is Ohio, why is Ohio State wasting their time with a, a guy who's five foot ten, doesn't have any passing accuracy, and is quote an athlete, and he doesn't even look that athletic on the field. And so I look at something like that, and I just laugh. But listen, I, I think it's a good thing. I mean, the lower he's ranked, the less he's off the radar, the better for us. We don't want him, you know. I mean, obviously he's blown up, but you know, no un, no unnecessary attention uh, as it relates to other commits we'll get into um so people trying to be uh, you know sniffing around and i'll say this i mean i know i know grant doesn't give a crap about the the rankings because he doesn't but like just from just from a uh, a person who who sees what he does during game time and who understands that ranking should probably stem more from how they play in game it's 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 stupid. Like it's it's there's no reason he should be ranked a three star. It's so so awful. And what's just uh, well actually before I before I say that, Dak, how does it make you feel that Tate Martell was, however, a former Texas A and M commit under Kevin Sumlin? I, you know, I actually didn't know his background. I, I didn't realize he was at Ohio State until he got into that Oregon game, and, and they were rotating him in, and then they ended up bringing back the starter. And I just thought, like, why on God's green earth is Ohio State, you know, run, this kid's their future? I don't know, man. I was pretty <laughs> underwhelmed with him. I get it. You know, he's fresh out, and, you know, he's just taking some snaps to get it under his But, I mean, he, you know, they're, they're basically excusing away the fact he has no accuracy on his passing. They're calling him an athlete, and his athletic performance is – at best underwhelming. I mean, they had to bring the starter back in the game against Oregon State. And so, uh, I don't know. I was just completely underwhelmed. Now, I can't tell you I watched his high school film and had feelings about him prior to him showing up there. It's just a coincidental thing, as you mentioned. But you look at a kid like um, Gannell, and I mean, he has all the miserables. And so, oh, yeah. And so, you know, listen, we see the antithesis of this all the time with Arizona basketball. Uh, what's, uh, you know, Omar Thelman commits from, you know, wherever the hell he committed from. And, you know, he goes from a guy nobody's seen two seconds of film on to being, you know, a, a ranked recruit. Because why? He committed to the U of A. So the antithesis happens to us in football. You know, it's, you know, a, a great player commits to us and they stay committed to us. So their rankings go down. Um, and so that's just how it goes. I don't put a lot of stock in that. And and I, and I, I, I think it's probably... Um, not a volitional downgrading based on the commit. But if you watch a guy like Brandon Huffman do interviews with these uh, these guys, like he'll come up and put his microphone on a kid's face and go, well, why are you staying committed to Arizona? I mean, that's literally how he'll phrase the question to these guys. And so you can't tell me for one second these national recruiting guys don't have their biases based on right. what school these kids are going to. So I, I don't believe for a second these guys say, well, this kid's going to Arizona. Like in the back of their mind, they must think, well, they are already knocking them a, a lot of support. Right. Yeah, what's what's keeping you at Arizona? Why, why yeah. Arizona? What's yeah. wrong with you? Yeah, I mean, it's like <laughs> yeah. literally that blatant it's not like well what you know if, if it was any other school what's what excites you about usc or you know why do you feel like you're a good match for usc or or what, what interests you about you know university of washington no it's like why are you at arizona and it's like thanks <laughs> asshole so um it makes me nuts and so again i don't think brandon huffman gives you know listen the, these guys think that they're like above bias 
we hear all the time about how certain programs won't let certain coaches in and, and they'll steer kids to certain things. These biases are present for everybody in all aspects of life. So, you know, they have confidence in certain coaches' ability to identify the talent and bring them in or just the prestige of the program. So it's, it's definitely a significant issue. And to think it isn't, I think, is, you know, just nonsensical. That's that's my take on that. Not specific to Martell, but the the gestalt take on that. But him being an A and M, and you know whether he would have been a commit, uh, you know, to someone or whatever. I mean, I, you know, I, honestly, I didn't even know that was a, the, the situation to be a, to be frank with you. Kind of moving on now. We got uh, Quibena Watson. Uh, he had a he had a bye week um, last week. Um, not trying to. I've been trying to get in. Uh, you know, trying to get a. a an interview with him and man, like life's just gotten in the way of both of us. Um, you know, I had work and then I was dealing, like I was telling Dax before we started recording, I was dealing with uh, a really high fever. So oh, I was out. You guys of were ignoring me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I was, I was out of commission. So, um, uh, hopefully I'll get to get to chat with him, uh, this weekend, a little bit later this weekend, but, uh, he, they took on, uh, Edison took on Madera South, uh, tonight. Um, so season stats so far, like just based on film that I've seen, uh, he has three tackles. I seriously, seriously doubt that is how much that he actually has. So I'm going to try to get confirmed number from him since, uh, max preps doesn't want to update or his coaches don't want to update it in max preps rather. Um, but you know, Quibena still looks good, and uh, still like what he can bring to uh, to Tucson once once he arrives. Uh, he's he's still a, just a dis- destroyer of offensive linemen. He, his bull rushes are very very dangerous. Um, and and man, that kid has a crazy motor once he gets once he's once the ball snaps. So, I mean, Gabe, if you got anything to add to that. Yeah, I mean, he's just he's just a freak. He's very set, not I mean, not body wise, but just athletically. I mean, he's much bigger than Jalen Harris, but they're just freakishly athletic and kind of that same. I don't know, just kind of that same mold where they could just do whatever they want. It seems like on the field, and then now, yeah the lack of stats and such, but now I'm starting to think maybe Edison is just really bad at just getting their videos up and their max preps up. Cause I remember watching Mackenzie Barnes and he didn't even have senior film. All he had was junior year film. And that film was kind of meh. Like you, you can tell that there are like the kids obviously making plays, especially Quabena, but there's just like a very poor filming I don't know, strategy going on there. I mean, a lot of these high schools just like pay some video company and they just clip every single play and the kids come in and make their huddles. But for whatever reason, Edison just does a very poor job. It seems of updating max preps and getting filmed. Cause yeah, I doubt that Quabena has three tackles through five games. Agreed. Yeah. And then uh, moving on to the first defensive back, we got uh, Maurice Gaines. Um, Excuse me. Uh, he he too had a bye week. Uh, he'll be playing uh, St. Joseph's on the from Canada actually on uh, the 29th, so on Saturday. Uh, just based on film too, he has three tackles. But uh, from the small clips I've seen, still physical, still really like what he what he can do as well. He he's going to be a great cover corner, I think, in the future. Um, still kind of, in my opinion, a little bit raw uh, when it comes to uh, winning when to. 
know when to uh, like let go of the defend uh, the the receiver or not when to contact the receiver. But his coverage skills are pretty pretty great. He 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 can stick with the receivers downfield and 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 dis- be a really disruptive. And I, I I can't wait to see what he can do. You know. I was super excited about Maurice. I mean, <clears throat> Mo Gaines, but it's huge size, six three. But some of his film, I'm like, eh, he's not like. A lot of it is like off ball kind of stuff, where it's just like, yeah, like was the play even going to go to his side anyways? Like, shows some physicality, you know, puts his hands on a guy, he'll kind of run him out of bounds. But I don't know, his film a little bit disappointing, but still. I'll take a six-three corner. I don't know. I don't know much about the whole prep school, you know, kind of caliber and how and what kind of guys go there instead of like a JUCO route. But uh, it is interesting to kind of see. I'm hoping that there's some progression there, but still, I think that there's a lot of value to be extracted out of him, and I think that he can be a starting corner. But I'm I'm a little. Uh, yeah, I'm a little hesitant on the Mo Gaines train as of right now. <laughs> I understand. I mean, anything that involves more Mo mentions. <laughs> I mean, I guess I get you, man. I, I completely understand. I mean, what? There's only been like a total. I mean, he's played two games and only been a total of what, like a minute of film you know, combined from each game. So, yeah, it, it doesn't show much. And I think, you know, kind of like alluding to what Edison does, it just may be the person doesn't, whoever's doing the filming just doesn't do a good job of it. So, yeah. Uh, so moving on to Jalen Johnson, um, Roosevelt had a buy, uh, uh, last week, but I began before we recorded, uh, last time I saw the score, it was 50 to nothing Roosevelt, um, tonight. And, uh, Jalen Johnson, uh, came back from a, a minor injury that he had, uh, two weeks ago and, and caught a touchdown at least to make it 50 to nothing. So, uh, it's nice to see him back out there and, uh, performing and, and, and uh, also scrolling through the timeline. I saw that, uh, uh, he's been, he's, he was targeted multiple times, but, uh, incomplete passes, which are probably more, uh, quarterback play than him, because if you watch his film, man, that kid is good. I cannot wait to, I, this kid is legit. He's, he's quick. He runs really pretty solid. Chris Rouse gets open, has solid, strong hands. And once he gets the ball in his hands, he's dynamic. So, um, and, and explosive. So I can't wait to, uh, see what he does and what, how he finishes his senior year. Yeah, he is climbing up for me. I mean, you, in his junior year film where he caught what 10 catches for 180 yards or something yep. and yep. a touchdown you could still see his physical abilities and just what he can do you could see the potential so now finally you're starting to see his the quarterback play is borderline awful there <laughs> and you can kind of see it in the throws in his film where i mean it's all him and he's just making plays and uh, I think uh, maybe like last week or two weeks ago, I was like, man, sometimes he's just boom or bust. But then it's just like his quarterback is just, you know, it, it's just it, the play is very poor there. And so for me, I think that he's one of the guys where you can see where his talent level can go once he gets to Arizona. He's really his routes were terribly just they were they were really bad last year. But now. I, you can see that there's been a big emphasis on that this offseason. He looks really good all around, and 
I think he can play. I mean, there's a lot of young freshman receivers that are on the roster right now who will be redshirt sophomores or just sophomores next year. But I think that Jalen Johnson can get in line immediately. Yeah, I agree. I mean, his his growth you can definitely see the growth that he has from uh last year into this year and it's starting to show on the on the field um so moving on down the line we got uh kane bradford who is our lone defensive lineman uh commit and he too had a bye week um but his previous two games um so what i've noticed is skyline will put out like a 30 second clip and then like later on in the week give him like the the game highlights which are longer and um, yeah, I'm 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 liking what I'm seeing out of Bradford. I wasn't sure uh, when he committed. I was like, okay, you know, you got like you had like a minute and some change of game film from from his junior season. But man, this year, uh, you can see just the there's a huge difference in the growth of his game. Like he's actually instead of just like bull rushing and kind of like trying to use his size and strength, you can see that he's actually not only using his size and strength, but he's using that with technique, and it's it's allowing him to just um, shed blocks and be disruptive as all get out in, in the backfield. And just based off of his clips from the two games, I've, I've got him at three tackles for a loss and a sack uh, with six tackles total, which actually is pretty, pretty decent production for someone who is that raw last year um, in just two games this year. And a lot of that is just from him um, having better technique and just looking like a more, uh, well-rounded uh, defensive lineman. Yeah, I mean, he's still new to football. I, I think he had started freshman year or maybe eighth grade. And so, I mean, kind of in that project phase, but really when you're talking about a 6'5", 285 kid who could probably hit up to 330, really, by the time he's in his second year here, maybe, maybe even sooner, I mean, he's a really nice piece that I think that you can work with and just kind of mold the D-line, the depth. I don't know if it'll be there entirely. Well, I guess the only thing that really kind of just hurts the D-line depth is Sione Tafuhima. I don't think he'll ever play a down at Arizona at this point, so you were kind of hoping at least next year he would get in there with P.J. Johnson back there. Uh, what, What year is Abraham? He's a redshirt junior. Okay, so he's got another year. See, I mean, he's got some time. He can kind of play nose or uh, defensive tackle. But, yeah, I mean, you you like Kane Bradford and what he can do and what he can provide. Maybe he gets thrown in next year with the four games uh, that he's allowed to. But, I mean, right now I'm okay with just giving him a year and letting him grow and pick up some weight and get to work as a redshirt freshman. Yeah, and I mean, he plays for. I mean, Skyline isn't isn't a chump school either. That's a that's one of the premier powerhouse uh, high schools in Texas, and especially in the Dallas Fort Worth area. So, I mean, that's that's pretty good. Um, and uh, in there may be more help along the way with just Bradford. Um, I know Nasir Sims is should be visiting uh, tomorrow. So uh, and I and I would expect Arizona to be trying to push for a commitment with that one. And I know both Gabe and I really like Nasir Sims, so um, he'd be another really solid addition. Yeah, I'll take that. Yeah, all day. All right. So moving on, Chris Rowland. Uh, he 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 is quickly quickly moving up the list for me. 
Uh, every week I watch him, I am just in awe at what he can do on the football field. Uh, once he gets the football in his hands, he's just he's one of those freak athletes that either just makes people miss or just, you know, outruns everyone or, or in, in like, he's just incredibly physical as well. Um, playing defensive back. I mean, I still like him at wide receiver, but the more and more I watch him this year, the more and more I like him at defensive back even more. Uh, it's just his, 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 um, coverage skills are, are, really impressive and he just makes some really good plays on the ball and he is really really physical hitter uh he is not afraid to come up and hit hit a player um in the, in the run game or whether they catch the ball or whatever and he's not afraid to go toe-to-toe with the receiver so that's something that i really like um he uh he and william knight high school actually uh had a 42 to 6 victory over lancaster he's one of the few uh commits to play this past week so um and i think they actually won again tonight so um i'll have to i'll be updating that next on next week's podcast um he finished that game with three tackles and two interceptions uh defensively and had six catches for 90 yards on the offensive side um but yeah man i i really enjoy watching his film and i i think he's a lot of fun to watch yeah he's definitely he's definitely fun to watch and he's really just a pure athlete and a nice piece to have because i think he can play so many positions i still like him as a wide receiver first although i'm not so sure that you need oh if if you're going for a wide receiver in this class you go for elijah higgins or jalen curry or some one of those texas guys down there but at, at db i'm I'm curious to say, I wouldn't mind him at safety. He doesn't have a whole lot of film at corner. And so that's kind of, I, I feel like Arizona just needs a lot of help at that position. And so he doesn't have a whole lot. It feels like he's just mostly kind of like a free safety. So I'm hoping that those skills can kind of translate well to corner. Um, but overall he, he is growing. He was one of my least favorite commits at the time. I just, I didn't really see it, but I mean, he's just a playmaker. And so I think that that can translate. He's, he's going to be able to f- play somewhere on the field at Arizona, whether that's corner, safety, wide receiver. I mean, he'll, he'll find some some role for sure. Yeah, man. I think, yeah, he's, he's, he's a good, he's going to, I think he's just a good player to have on board regardless. Um, kind of agree with you there. All right. So moving on, uh, we got Darian Clark, uh, another powerhouse, uh, high school in Texas, uh, in Dallas area, South Oak cliff. Uh, they played this past week, uh, they played red Oak high school and they won 31 to 21. Um, I'm not really sure how, uh, Darian did. Uh, there was no stats posted or, or game film, which was kind of odd. Usually South, South Oak cliff is really, really good about updating all of that. Um, and, and, and even all his stats for, uh, all of his games aren't updated. So like in two games, we at least know that he has 21 tackles and three tackles for a loss, but we don't know what he has uh, combined with the other, other two. So, uh, but I, I really like Darian. He's very patient. He has great vision and he, he diagnoses a play before he starts attack. And then once he attacks, he has a quick burst and, and is able to uh, disrupt the player, make the tackle. Yeah, I like him. It seems like they're using him a lot more as linebacker now this year. Last year, it was a lot of D-line. I mean, he's still coming off the edge here and there and kind of lining up as a, a DN kind of stud looking for their defense. I don't know what they run, but uh, yeah, I mean, he's it's really just got to be his size at this point. I think we've talked about this. This kid's got to be like 5'11 or, or something. 
or five ten even maybe. But I mean, he produces. He plays at a big time high school. He's one of the top ranked linebackers by all the local. Texas reporters, um, but just no power five offers at all, but, uh, kids producing. And so hopefully he can, uh, carve out a nice role there, uh, at middle linebacker or maybe outside if they want to put him on the weak side there. Interesting to sell side note here, but interesting to see that Isaiah Johnson, uh, one of our favorite commits from this past class, has not played a snap yet at Arizona as a middle linebacker. That so, is interesting. So maybe uh, Clark comes in a meet. Maybe they don't like because that's not someone. Or I guess, well, I don't know how much Yates had uh, in that recruitment, but maybe he's not someone that they particularly uh, think fits. And so Darion obviously has the advantage of being a someone guy and so maybe that's something that he just fills in right away next year i think that maybe i still think that they may be uh pushing johnson to be a stud in the future he just sure. has that he just big enough yeah he's big enough and he, i think that's where his best skill set is is rushing the passer so that may be something because uh, his his uh his cover skills weren't weren't where they need to be in my opinion to play uh, mike or will so that may be something to look for in the future. Uh, moving on, uh, Gabe's favorite, Michael Wiley. Um, he, you know what? He, he also had a bye week, but they're three and zero. And Michael Wiley is actually a big, big reason for that. That uh, strict Jesuit is three and zero. So far this year, he has fifty eight carries for four hundred three yards, four touchdowns, with three catches for thirty seven yards, no touchdowns. But that kid is producing, and he looks a lot. His, if you watch um, his his junior film, and then you watch the um, the game film from their very first game, I think it was against St. Thomas Catholic High School. Uh, it, it like his entire junior film is completely different from his senior film. His senior film already, and like in that one game, you can see like he, he has added speed, he has added shiftiness, and he he now looks like a really really solid running back um and 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 kind of like it like kind of like bam bam smith but like a little bit um i'd say quicker in my opinion i don't know what do you think do you think he's quicker than than uh than bam bam um gosh that's tough because they do they do have very similar skill set i Maybe ah, that's so hard because with Smith, I think he's very much just kind of, he just needs one cut and he can go. Uh, Wiley. Oh man, that's tough. I see. Cause Wiley, I, on film it, he doesn't look like he runs like a four, four or anything, but he can turn the corner and he's just gone and, and he'll rip off something up the middle or even, but yeah, I mean, I'll still take Smith. I, I liked his film. Oh, also heartbreaking because er, uh, he's kind of similar to his skill set. Martel Irby was just ripping off some chunk plays this uh, evening against Colorado. <laughs> Dude, and, it was heartbreaking. I watched that just I'm like, man, I would love. I mean, I like, <laughs> I like what Smith brings to the table. But like Martel Irby, we both agreed that dude's like a top 500 kid almost, and he got plucked late but anyways my michael or yeah michael yeah i think i still like smith better but i mean mike very similar skill sets but michael is definitely growing on me not so much not as fast as roland is but 
uh, you know, he's making some plays. So we'll see how the rest of the season goes. Just wait, man. He's going to be your number one by the time this season's over. (laughs) All right. So uh, moving on to uh, very intriguing uh, one, and I know one that probably all three of us really want to talk about is uh, Jordan Morgan. Um, This kid has – we've had one of our uh, our contributors, uh, Christopher Bone, um, actually out there uh, recording and and giving us updates and, you know, live gameplay action and stuff like that with him. And, um, man, man, Morgan's impressive. He's – just a that kid is a freak athlete for an offensive lineman. His footwork has gotten better. He's not as raw. Um, he's still he's a little inconsistent still, but uh, man, yeah, he's he he has the potential. He's going to be a good offensive lineman in 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 the future. Um, he's picked up offers to uh, USC, and uh, I think today, yesterday, today, he picked uh, up yesterday maybe. Yeah, he picked up one to Arizona State, um, but. He's still solid to Arizona. Um, nothing's changed with that. Um, yeah, I, I, I really like Morgan. Morgan's grown on me more and more as the years progress because I mean I, I know I was excited for him when he when he because he's you know very freakishly athletic and a lot of potential. Uh, I'm I am even more excited for him now, seeing what he's done so far in his senior season. Yeah, he's very similar to Kane Bradford, where just looks very raw and didn't have a whole lot of film, but just. A super lean 6'5", 270 kid, super athletic, and just looks like he has the potential to be a really good starting tackle. And, I mean, this was prior to the season. I wasn't super high on Donovan Lay uh, coming in. I felt And I felt like Jordan Morgan, or I guess I still feel this way just because I didn't feel that way about Donovan. But I think that Jordan Morgan has a higher ceiling than both Donovan Lay and David Watson from this last class. So I, yeah, I've, I've been high on Jordan Morgan and the USC offer was very shocking. Cause you don't like, that's just, that was just out of the blue. It's not like he like kind of picked up Washington state and kind of that normal cycle of Oregon state. He just went straight into USC and now ASU is followed. And yeah, I think, it's it's important you have to keep him one because he's local and two because he's your only offensive line commit and i feel like arizona i would love for arizona to get at least two more guys in there um preferably a guard but i mean i'll take any combination of linemen that you can get or if you want to get kind of just a a swing guy a tackle or guard but you need to keep jordan morgan in the class he's your only guy he's in your city, you got to lock them down. And I'm curious to see how they address the rest of the offensive line needs. Next year, I was talking to someone today, actually. Next year, the line doesn't look terrible. You've got some options, and I guess it helps just because so many guys are playing this year. But I think it was somewhat of a combination of Theo at left, uh, that left guard, who would it be? Uh, Dude, I think you would actually keep... I, so here, here's what I would think it would be. I'd put Michael Elatise because I've watched him play uh, left tackle when he's come in uh, reserve time. I'd put Elatise at left tackle. I'd put I'd keep Creason at left guard if he's still around, or even move uh, or even put um, Theo at, at left guard as well. Like rotate him in and out. Yeah. Uh, Obviously, if Nate comes back or if he's able to give it a go, bring him back yeah. at center. If not, McCauley would be will be better seasoned. Or you could have Congle. 
Or Congo. Oh, yeah, yeah. Then I forgot Congo's going to be back. Yeah, so then right guard, you'd probably have Kane back again or Elatise uh, at a guard spot, and then you have Lay at right tackle, and he's probably your starter for the next four years anyway, so or three years if he burns this year's red shirt. But, or no, he definitely will. So, yeah, I guess he's your starter for the next four years. Um, but I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't sound terrible. Um, but then there's depth that you really need to develop Edgar Barola from two classes ago, kind of a project guy maybe was in there because of Tony Fields and Antonio Wallace. And then David Watson, a legacy guy who found his way on. So, I mean, there's some, and eh, uh, next, next year's line doesn't seem as terrible as you would think, but you he still got Stephen that. Bailey and everything too. So. Oh yeah, I forgot about Stephen Bailey. Yeah. He's actually looked good in the time that he's played this year. Yeah. And uh, um, interesting enough, interestingly enough, rather, um, Arizona's been offering some. Uh, I know you've been. I know you've been busy as well, but like, they've been offering some um, JUCO offensive linemen. So um, okay. that seems to be. Uh, if they can't get any more high schoolers, they'll look to the JUCO route, at least to fill up the offensive line to get those one or two additional guys. And then uh, even on the defensive line, they're looking the JUCO route as, uh, as well as uh, high school. Hmm. So, uh, Dax, you got anything you want to say on uh, Jordan Morgan? Well, I, I think it's an interesting concept. If you, if you look back to a lot of the success that Tomy had, and listen, don't get me wrong, I've made fun of ASU for being uh, University of Junior College, but... Um, you know, he had a lot of success bringing in JC guys and 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 bringing them in and and getting them to play. And so, I don't think it's an area that should be uh, you know passed over, especially in those areas that are particularly difficult for a school like Arizona to recruit: defensive line and offensive line. And and that always seems to be the area where we have difficulty, uh, you know. Not only recruiting, but uh, developing and uh, sustaining uh, players. So, if you can take someone from the JC ranks and bring them in, and they're a little bit bigger, they're a little bit more developed. Maybe they've had some time to, you know, assess their commitment to the game. I think it's a much more viable area than a lot of the other positions, like wide receiver, running back, quarterback, uh, defensive secondary, where the absolute size requirements is, you know, a confounding very and getting them in and getting them um, ready to play. Yeah, I, I get, I get, that. I agree with that too. I, I think that junior college is an important part, and um, I'm, I'm actually glad to see that they're not that Arizona with this new staff is not shying away from that route. That's actually really good in my opinion. All right, so uh, moving on to uh, Eddie Saimau, uh, man, it's tough to find anything on American Samoa. Um, <laughs> on anything with that and uh uh trying to reach out to him. you know you get it's 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 just tough so i'll try reaching out to him a little bit later uh in the week and see how his season's going and everything like that but um his junior film yeah his junior film when he actually moved over to uh more of an outside linebacker uh stud was was really impressive he uh He's a big kid. He's like 6'3", 221, 225, somewhere right around there. 
Um, and he's just big and aggressive and, and loves to hit people. And that's, that's what exactly what you want in, in anything in any player rather that's, that's rushing, uh, the passer in any shape or form. So, um, and he, you know, he played safety beforehand. So he has that, he has that ability if, if need be to drop back in coverage and, and cover the flat. So, uh, but I, I still like Eddie. I can't wait to, uh, I can't wait to catch up with them and see how the season's going. And then, uh, actually to, um, hopefully see some, uh, some of his senior film. I really, I'm really excited to see some of that. Yeah. Uh, I mean, now, now that we're kind of just listing them off one by one, there's kind of a theme with this class where it's just a bunch of ultra athletic kids where you have Quabena, Mo Gaines, I think is pretty athletic. Jalen Johnson, very explosive. Kane Bradford for his size, pretty quick. Chris Rowland, playmaker on both sides. Jordan Morgan, super quick for his size. And Eddie, I think he is kind of a tweener, kind of like Chris Rowland, where I think he could play any three safety positions. I think he could play weak side linebacker. He probably plays stud uh, the best. Is that where they have him coming in as? I, I have no idea. But stud is probably where it's he's best suited. And so, I mean, he's going to find somewhere uh, to play on defense. And I think he's going to be a really good player. Just kind of one of those tweeners where you don't really know where he'll go. And he could go in a few different directions, but uh, they'll figure something out for him. Absolutely. And then finally, we got Kyle Austin Dorp. Uh, which finally um, threw four out of his five games. Uh, have been updated. Um, they actually uh, last week they got their first loss to uh, Highland High School uh, from Gilbert. Uh, lost forty-five to twenty-four. But uh, four of his five games have been updated, and he's now at eight punts for three hundred sixty-one yards for the fifty-six-yard long. He has four inside the twenty, and his average is really, really good. It's at forty-five point one yards per punt, uh, which um, wasn't so much what anyone expected i think um i know that uh he i know that he uh had you know not 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 great numbers or great film for him from his junior year and everything like that and chris Taylor has him pretty far down uh, in the rankings for whatever reason but he uh he's been he's been playing pretty well um and his numbers are starting to show for it yeah, not much for me there. I'm um, just—I mean—they addressed the need at punter, and so uh, you got a punter. So I'll take it. <laughs> That's too funny. All right. Well, uh, before we get into the picks for this week and the analysis for the game coming up, uh, year to date um, against the spread, uh, I'm at uh, 19 of 28 and uh, 16 of 29 for the over under. Uh, Gabe's 18 of 27 uh, with uh, 16 out of 28 on the over under. Uh, Brandon, uh, you're at uh, 13 out of 28 against the spread. You got a bonus pick uh, for the Washington State game. And uh, 14 of 29 for the over-under. And uh, Chris is at uh, 17 of 28 and 16 of 29 uh, at the over-under. So for this week's games, um, we uh, talked about it before we started the podcast. We'd already put in our picks for the UCLA at Colorado game. Um, This was on Fox 1. It's over now. Uh, Colorado uh, rolled 38 to 16. Uh, This game uh, was a 10-point. Colorado was giving up 10 points. Uh, So obviously they covered. We all had Colorado. 
and uh, Gabe and I were hoping for the over. Uh, but nah, Brandon bro. came out with the under, <laughs> so kudos to him. Don't call it a comeback. Uh, 3 p.m. tomorrow, uh, Utah is giving up one and a half points and rolling into Washington State. You are without doubt the worst pirate I've ever heard of. But you have heard of me. Uh, this is actually a flip on the line that started out uh, with Washington State minus two. Um, the over-under is currently 49.5, which is down from 53.5. What do you guys think about that game? I don't understand why. What What is this fascination with Utah? Utah's offense is not good. And I alluded to this earlier when we were talking. You said the same thing. And I said, remember this. That not only have they flipped the line from Washington State at home in the Palouse, which, like, why would Utah be rolling into the Palouse and, and have any sort of, you know, I mean, that's a distinct home field advantage. They, they flipped the line. And they drove the the over under. Uh, well, I guess they drove it down, but I mean, it just fifty points with Utah. Good lord! I uh, well, I'm definitely taking the under, and I'm taking Wazoo. There's no way. <laughs> what do you think, Gabe? Uh, Wazoo for sure. I'm struggling on the over under because I could see Washington State putting up like forty five on their own. Um, I think I'm going to take the over. I think Washington, it's going to be a blowout, but Washington State's going to probably just hang like 39 to 30. <laughs> They're going to hang 35 plus. And so I think that Utah can at least score two touchdowns. So it's a trifecta. I'm going with Washington State, too. I just think it's a gimme when they're getting points at home. And uh, But I'm going to stick with the under. I think uh, Utah does have a good defense. But I could see what you're saying there, Gabe. That could certainly swing, swing pretty rapidly. Um, Third, number seven, third. Is uh, heading out to uh, Notre Dame, uh, number eight. Dominus Fobiscum. Lexio Sancti Evangelii Secundum Matthäum. Notre Dame's given up five points. This is going to be on NBC at 4.30. The over-under is coming in at 52 with no switch. The uh, five points uh, for Notre Dame is actually up from three and a half. Uh, so the money's pushing towards Notre Dame. What do you guys think? I'm going to go Stanford here. I, yeah, I just, I feel good about Stanford and Notre Dame's always just kind of one of those teams where they're in this spot and, They'll end up going nine and three, and they get catfished. Yeah, so <laughs> they. I'll take Stanford easily on the points. I think they could win, uh, but I'm gonna take the under on that for sure. I'm gonna go with Ferd as well, just because like they've they've owned Notre Dame the past two or three years, um, and they're gonna be riding high after a, a very convincing. Honestly, honestly, convincing win in Eugene against Oregon. Um, so yeah, I'm gonna definitely take Stanford, and I'm gonna I'm gonna take the I'm gonna take the over on that one. All right, I'm going with Ferd and under. So let's uh, let's have some uh, crackpot action there. Uh, number twenty BYU after their win at Wisconsin um, is rolling in against uh, uh, UW. 
um, at number 11. Uh, UW's given up 17 with an over-under of 46. The over-under is up from 43.5. Uh, the, the spread has been driven up from 16.5. Another one where, despite the anemic offensive performances by UW of late, uh, has a pretty significant uh, spread. Um, this is going to be on Fox at 5.30. What do you guys think? I think that, uh, you know, I think that this is going to be a good game. It's going to be a really, really solid game. I think that I'm going to take BYU on the points, though. I'm going to, I'm going to be that guy <laughs> and take BYU on the points, but I'll go with the under as well. No, psych, psych, psych. Nope, I'm not over yet. I'm going with over. Sorry. <laughs> I can see. I, yeah. 17. Again, I mean, See, I don't put a lot of stock in Wisconsin. They're kind of a team where I'm like, eh, kind of like a Michigan State where, sure, they can go 10-2, and two, but I don't know. I'm just not a big believer. But at the same time, 17 is like still a lot of points. Uh, I, I, I think Washington will cover. Uh, yeah, wow. I, I, I could see. Yeah, I'm going. Yeah, I'll go Washington State over. I mean UW, right? Or UW, yeah, sorry. <laughs> That's right. Uh, I'm going to be that guy too, uh, Brandon. I'm going to take BYU, but I'm, I'm going to stick with the under, so it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out. Uh, Oregon State. <laughs> rolls into ASU. It is absolutely amazing to me how much you can do on the internet these days. Before Instagram, you had to take your brunch door to door to find out if your friends liked it. <laughs> but the internet can be a dangerous place, like those 10 simple ways to lose belly fat. It's possible that the 10th way is murder. <laughs> For instance, <laughs> there are a lot of online colleges out there, but you gotta be careful, because as wise as it seems to get a college degree the same way you order shoes, some online universities are actually a scam. The New York Times reports on fake diplomas sold for cash by a company in Pakistan. The business name, AYAK, claims to be Pakistan's largest software exporter. The records reportedly show its main business is selling fake academic degrees on the internet. That's right, the Pakistani company X-Act was selling fake college diplomas, which explains where bin Laden got his degree in women's studies. <laughs> apparently, <laughs> apparently the company duped potential students by building sleek websites for schools with authoritative sounding names like Barclay, Columbiana, and Mount Lincoln. What? Mount Lincoln is fake? Then where did my parents send my dog Barkley? <laughs> I should have known he wasn't qualified for college. He got a 12 on his ACTs. <laughs> Axe Act even set up a school named, and this is true, Nixon University. <laughs> Popular majors include paranoia, enemy listing, and jowl management. <laughs> and degrees. Degrees from Axe Act aren't exactly cheap. They're charging over $4,000 for a doctoral degree. That's not right. You can't buy a doctorate. You have to earn it by telling jokes to the graduates. And 
Act wasn't just overcharging people for fake degrees. They also had agents impersonate American officials who bullied customers into buying certificates signed by Secretary of State John Kerry, proving once again that you have to actively threaten someone to have them want John Kerry's autograph. <laughs> Luckily, Pakistani authorities arrested the Axax CEO, charging him with illegal money transfers, forgery, and fraud. No doubt he'll represent himself in court. I hear he's got like 20 law degrees. <laughs> well, I for one, I'm glad they caught the guy. Charging people hundreds of thousands of dollars for fake degrees is appalling. I believe that fake college should be free. That's why I've set up my own network of completely free diploma generators offering degrees from such prestigious institutions as Prancetown, <laughs> Notre Dame, Mount Holy Smokes, Stanford and Son, Skidmark, John's Hot Pants, Dartface, and Arizona State. Just go. Just go to ColbertLateShow.com, click the school of your choice, and then take your final exam which consists of scrolling down the entire page and reading the word print. Congratulations, you've now received both your PhD and your PDF. You as a sacrificial lamb, 7 p.m. on Pac-12 Networks. Uh, ASU's given up 22 points, that's up from 21, with an over-under of 64, which is up from 63 and a half. What do you guys think? Uh, that's uh, 22 is a lot too. I mean, Arizona State doesn't have the best offense. But I Oregon State just looks so bad though on defense. Like I, you don't need to have a great offense to run the ball in Oregon State. I think, and so I will take ASU there. But I don't. Oh wow, 65. <laughs> I'll Never go on there. All right, so I'm gonna go. This is gonna be this is gonna be a crazy pick. This might be a homer pick, but I'm gonna pick OSU, and I'm actually gonna go the over. Your lips to God's ears. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry, Gabe. What would you have again? I'm taking ASU on the under, but really, this is just kind of like. Well, I mean, it's not entirely a win-win, but I mean, if ASU doesn't cover, then that's kind of cool. But if they do, then I get points it'd be better if they just lost but yeah <laughs> always better if they just lose yeah yeah listen brandon i'd like to join you on that train but i'm gonna take a issue i i think at home they're they're tough to bet against and i think they're gonna rack up the score uh number 19 uh oregon is rolling into number 24 Cal. Uh, Oregon's given up only two points. That's down from three and a half with an over under uh, 58.5, which is down from 59. This is on Fox Sports 1 at 730. What do you guys think? Oh, man, you know, ah, that's, that's to, to me, I'm surprised that it's only two and a half. I would... I would think that they would have Oregon at like at least six. I'm going to go Oregon and I'll go the, I think the over is easy, uh, but I'll take Oregon by like 10. Yeah. I'm definitely picking the over. I don't know, man. Cal's tough. I like Cal too. Yeah. Cal's, Cal's secondary is no joke. Um, I'm going to pick Cal, but I'm going to pick the over. I'll agree with you. I'm going Cal, but we all took the over there. Okay, Gabe. 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah I think, man. I think Cal's tough and it's at Cal. And I, I can't believe Vegas thinks that's a coin flip. That's crazy. All right, Gabe, you put out an article, the five Wildcats to watch uh, versus USC. Why don't you take through the guys that you think uh, we need to pay attention to on Saturday night? Okie dokie. So I started with Jalen Harris. I, he was, according to Pro Football Focus, the highest rated defensive player for Arizona last week. And I just think, I mean, he's just so he just has so many great traits that you like. He has the length. He has speed. It takes him like three strides to get into the backfield. Um, I and sure he's still six four, two twenty, two thirty maybe, but I think he's either fast enough to just be a tackle, or he still has long enough arms to kind of maneuver his way around a tackle. Um, I just really like him overall. I've liked him since the day he committed, and he had a really good game. And I think with Jalen Cochran's injury, uh, you know, like I said earlier, we don't know how serious that is. But J.B. Brown right now is like the lone defensive end right now, and so I think they'll they they can move Jalen to stud or defensive end, and I think he'll play well at either spot. And I or if he does, we'll see what Jalen does, but. Jalen Cochran, that is not Harris. Um, but I like Jalen Harris, and I think that he's kind of car- slowly. There's been some guys that have carved out their role. Abraham, uh, Maeva against Houston, kind of started getting his role uh, in there. A couple of safeties here and there. I think Jalen is kind of up next, and they're going to start rotating him in. So I like where he's at. Uh, Colin Schooler, I the best player on the defense. I think he has to have a big game just to keep Arizona in it. Um, he's got to produce some pressure, some tackles for losses, like usual, maybe a sack or two. I mean, he's really just a do it all guy for Arizona. And I think the defense really feeds off him. So uh, looking for him to have a good game. And uh, I win a lot of defense this week, actually. So, cause next I have JB Brown. And so now he's the, Pretty much, like I said, the lone defensive end. We'll see what Cochran or Harris do eventually. But JB is a very interesting cat to me because he is not very flashy at all to me. Like he doesn't really do anything special, but he's just always around the ball. He always isn't. He's always in position to make a play. So he's always interesting to watch. Uh, it's. I don't think he's. I don't want to say he's not like physically talented but i don't think he like has a lot of great traits that you love about a defensive end but he just somehow finds himself around the ball and so really pleased out of what we've seen from him because really i didn't really think about it till a few days ago but we haven't seen anything from mike king johnson kind of that defensive end hybrid stud kind of guy and preseason i'm pretty positive i had uh, Belky and then Mike King as the top two defensive ends. I really didn't give JB enough credit, uh, but started rolling with the twos in the spring. I think I still thought, I think Mike King just has the, the frame and the skill and the talent or that I thought he would have propelled to number two, but really, I mean, he's held him off or maybe he's just kind of fallen down, but I like what JB's done this season. Going on to number four here, P.J. Johnson. 
really the first time he's been healthy since week one, and he didn't really have much of an effect week one. So now I think he is Arizona's best defensive lineman. Uh, I his size alone is something that Arizona really needs to have up there. And I, I hope that he can make an impact against USC's line. I don't know much about USC's line, but uh, he, he'll be busy, I'm sure. And then last, I have J.J. Taylor. And this is one just because, yeah, he had 283, 84 rushing yards last week. But also, I think since Arizona isn't really going with Khalil Tate, a whole lot with his legs and getting the running going. I think that puts a lot more pressure on JJ to step up and get the run game going. And so for Arizona's offense to be effective, the run needs to be established and you can't be down early uh, if you're Arizona and start throwing. And then that just kind of, it just puts them out of sync. I think the run game is where Arizona makes their money. And then that opens up the passing for them. But if you can't, if if they're just getting you know two yards a run, there's really, yeah, you, you don't, you aren't effective at that point, and that very well could happen against USC. They've got a great group of linebackers there that can fly to the ball, but JJ's just got to be ready and uh, get the run game going. I think it's it's really heavily reliance on him for the offense. What do you think, Brandon? Yeah, I pretty much agree with what Gabe was saying. Um, I would throw in a couple of uh, wide receivers like Sean um, or Tony, because Tony was pretty much a non-factor for the most part with, uh, you know, against uh, Oregon State. So uh, I think he needs to. Have, I don't. I don't want to say have a breakout game. He just needs to have a good game um, and do, you know do Tony Ellison things in order for the offense to, to keep moving. Um, because I mean, he's, he's pretty reliable. He's had some, um, he's had some uncharacteristic drops the past two games, but, um, I think that, you know, Ellison is probably still the most dependable, uh, receiver out there. Um, and then it probably be Sean afterward and then, and then, and then Brown. So, um, I pretty much agree with what, what Gabe, uh, put it, it as you notice, excuse me, it's going to be a lot of the defensive front because that's where it's going to be make or break for Arizona. And then, you know, JJ obviously needs to have a good game to help establish that run. That way it can take some pressure off Khalil's passing. Um, but I do think that like Tony Ellison and, and Sean point extra need to have good games as well. Yeah, you know, I I, I will add that uh, there is some reports coming out that Lath Frake uh, might be dealing with an ankle injury, and so maybe um, a game time decision. So that that will obviously be a huge issue. Uh, you know, having just gotten him back on the offensive line and made those adjustments over the last two games, I, I think that's probably the biggest domino to fall. Obviously, the guys you broke down are our key components, but if he's not there to sort of anchor the line, we're, we're back to the uh, drawing board in regards to shuffling guys around. Um, you know, obviously the uber uh, talented USC team runs in. Uh, St. Brown's going to look great. Um, you know, JT's going to do what JT's going to do, but, you know, the, they're, they're a team that, uh, like we were just a few games ago, um, you know, needs a win and so I, I think they're going to be pretty dangerous for us and um, this isn't 
this is earlier in the season when you wanted to catch him before JT got really settled in. Uh, but it's also uh, a time where, you know, uh, we, we don't want to be going in there when they need to, uh, to make a point of something. So, um, you know, I'm not super happy about the, the phase we're catching them in at, um, you know, one and one in the conference um, and two and two overall. Um, who's next on their schedule? Maybe we'll get lucky and they'll overlook us. Next week they are playing Colorado on a Friday. Uh, oh, no, that's an issue. Bye. They have a bye. So no such luck. And then the subsequent week, um, they are hosting Colorado. So, you know, I don't see it, the, you know, us catching on a trap game. It's a trap. You know, we're, we're not highly ranked. We didn't, you know, beat Houston and, and you know, beat BYU. And, and, you know, we're coming in flying high and they really want to show it to us, had things in the past. So at least we don't have that stack against us. But obviously we have the talent gap. And that's always, uh, I think, uh, pretty uh, difficult to overcome. Um, uh, SC's given up three points. Uh, that's up from uh, two with an over-under of 60, which is down from 61. Uh, games at uh, 7.30 on ESPN2. So unless you guys have further analysis, uh, you guys throw your picks at me. All righty. Um, I... Oh, gosh. Wait, what did you say the spread was? I guess that's three. three. SC's oh, going up yeah. three. I'm, I'm taking USC on the points. I think they win by... I, uh, what did my... I think I had 38-24. I think that the defense just won't be able to hold up for four quarters. I think, I think it'll be a game through three. I think it could be 24, 38 or 24, 28 through three quarters. But I think eventually just kind of the same old thing we've seen the last few years where they just break away. I, I just don't think the defense has it in them even to confuse a 17 year old kid uh, with a four, two, five or a three, three, five, whatever they want to throw at him. He is, you know, questionable at times, but I just, it's, I think the run game gets going on Arizona and then it just kind of snowballs into that. And they're just a bigger, more physical, talented team as a whole, even though coaching wise, I don't think they're led by a great group, but I, yeah, it's hard for me. I didn't have this as a win prior to the season. And right now I still don't think that, I've seen enough good out of Arizona compared to USC's bad. That makes me want to flip that. So that's my analysis. What's the over-under on this? Uh, 60. Uh, I'll take the under. All right, Brandon. So uh, even in my article, or even in the score prediction article that just came out a little bit ago, I picked Arizona win 35-31, and I'm sticking with that. There's there's actually reasons behind it. The defense took a huge step forward against an explosive offense in Oregon State, held them to under you know held them 238 yards, held them under 100 yards rushing. Um, so that gave them some confidence, and it may be uh, the defensive staff may have finally found something that works for um, for the defense. Uh, USC's offensive line has not been great this year. Um, during the Washington State game, I saw multiple multiple bad snaps um, and just just really cruddy play. So. Uh, I don't, I mean, I mean, yes, you're going to have that, that Daniels to St. Brown connection, 
<clears throat> excuse me. But I don't think that's enough to propel USC past all the possible mistakes that they can have in you know on on a in a road game. So um, yeah, it's going to be a hard fought game. But I think Arizona wins by four, and I am definitely taking the over. All right. So normally I'm much more aligned with Gabe, and I agree with his analysis uh, <laughs> the vast majority of the time. Um, however, I am going to pick U of A in the over, um, despite the you know the newer concerns about Frank's ankle, and we've talked about how critical he is. I just you know chalk it up to homerism or optimism. Uh, like I said, it, it's not like we had come out of the gate like we hoped, and we were high flying, and USC is going to come here and put us in our place. We're you know we're 500, um, and so. You know, they got a win last week against the Washington State team. Uh, they're on the road. They're certainly the more talented team. Uh, there's a lot of reasons to pick them, and, and they should easily cover. Uh, but I just have a feeling that the confidence of the U of A is catching, um, as Brandon's alluded to. And I just, for some reason, optimistic that we, we pull out a shenanigan here, and this is our typical uh, game we have no business winning um, at home. And, um, and so, you know. There it is. Let's uh, let's hope it, it plays out that way. Uh, anything you guys want to wrap up with um, before we head out? Uh, just a couple things. There's going to be uh, so some visitors are going to be in this week, and I've mentioned that Nasir Sims is going to be in. Um, so is the uh, uh, high three star, low four star defensive end uh, from Belgium, Sylvain Young. Yon Juan, I can't. I'm sorry if I butcher his name. Yon Juan, I think is what it is. Um, he's a freak athlete. Um, so he's getting, he's actually already in Tucson as we speak. Uh, Jalen uh, Jalen Ellis, uh, one of the wide receiver receivers from Texas that Gabe was alluding to earlier, is in um, is going to be in for an official visit. And Grant Gannell is going to be making his second unofficial visit of the weekend. Um, back in Tucson. So good gravy. The kid might as well move out here. He's here all the time. <laughs> Gotta love that. That's a great sign. Um, yeah, that kid's name's awesome. You know, we need to recruit like a deja vu and a montage and then, uh, <laughs> we'll have all sorts of great names. Um, in breaking news, uh, UCLA's, uh, Sharif O'Neal is going to miss the, uh, 18, 19 season with a heart condition. Uh, condolences to him. Uh, that's Shaq's kid who decommitted from the U of A and recommitted to UCLA. So unfortunately for him, he's not going to be playing next year uh, in the back 12. So, uh, best wishes to him. Um, bear down, gentlemen. Bear down. Bear down.